Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Before we're done on today's show, we'll turn our attention to Georgia, Georgia Tech. I'll give you another reminder that, yeah, this rivalry game probably does mean a little more to Kirby Smart than sometimes he lets on, and Georgia fans may be taking that cue as we head towards Saturday. Back on the flats. I still don't know why they call it the flats, but nonetheless, Bobby Dodd Stadium, clean old-fashioned hate. We'll do some Georgia-Georgia Tech before we're done on today's program. We'll also hit the Nyland Green stuff here in a moment. Uh, late breaking before our show takes the air. We'll tell you what we know about that. We'll let Mike Griffith fill in some of the details on that for us here, too. Coming up in just a uh, little bit, and we'll have some fun with uh, a very odd situation yesterday involving Brock Bowers and the fact that there are just some folks around the country that just don't seem to be paying that close attention to what's actually happening in the sport they're supposed to be a part of. So we'll do all that coming up. Before that, though, I think this is a pretty important topic. Last night, we saw a movement with the college football playoff rankings. Now, Georgia is number one right now and so far out in front of the rest of the pack that almost the rest of the country can't even see UGA there at the uh, moment. So all the actions beneath and below UGA right now. But something very interesting happened. We said on Friday's show that Georgia's path to the playoff would become clearer based on last Saturday's results. We'd be watching very closely to see how Ohio State played against Michigan State. And Ohio State passed that test with flying colors. We believed going into that that Ohio State was a challenge for UGA, and the Buckeyes, I think, demonstrated themselves to truly be a formidable challenge for the Dogs if that matchup were to occur for the college football playoff. But it's also the comparison between Ohio State and the other team that we think could challenge Georgia-Alabama that becomes pretty interesting right now. Last night, Playoff Selection Committee Chairman Gary Barda talked a little bit about the committee's choice of moving Alabama down to the number three spot, now moving Ohio State up to the number two spot. Results in the field speak for themselves, but Barda in particular uses a very clear line of reasoning for why right now Ohio State is better than Alabama. And what Barda, the Playoff Committee Chairman, had to say last night, this is relevant for Georgia. Listen to him explaining why it's Buckeyes over Crimson Tide after last night's rankings. Well, two great teams, uh, both Ohio State and Alabama. Uh, both of them have Heisman Trophy candidates at quarterback. And uh, this past week, though, the, the dominating win over Michigan State certainly got the uh, committee's attention. Uh, the offense of, uh, of Ohio State just, just uh, with uh, just total domination and defense playing much better. Uh, so and they've been playing better week after week. They now uh, they they beat Penn State. They beat Purdue. Alabama still a great football team. Uh, have a wonderful win against uh, Ole Miss. The last few weeks uh, just not showing as much domination on defense. So two great teams. But when the when the vote came down, Ohio State came ahead of uh, Alabama. Isn't that very interesting? And it's interesting because. Sometimes the committee, and it's a different chairman, there have been a few of these chairmen over the course of time, sometimes they have a way of talking in circles and not speaking very clearly, but in this particular case, I don't think Barta could have been more clear about why Alabama's demoted and why, in this case, Ohio State then had room to be promoted. The fact that Barta looks at Alabama and says, this team right now is just not dominant on defense. This team right now is just not what we've come to expect the Crimson Tide to be on that side of the ball. And if you're a Georgia fan, you're watching these games. I was in Athens on Saturday after the UGA game, and a lot of folks – 
were watching that Bama Arkansas game out at dinner there that evening. And every Georgia fan I talked to, you know, in and around the uh, town that night was kind of saying the same thing. They were enjoying watching Sam Pittman's Arkansas team move the football against Alabama. And this late in the season, the fact that that switch still hasn't kind of been flipped, that Alabama still just hasn't quite looked like Alabama. There is a little bit of a who. This is kind of interesting. This is not really happening. This is this is just kind of um, kind of unfolding uh, uh, in a way that we didn't really quite expect. That that we kept thinking Alabama eventually would look like Alabama, but on that defensive side of the football, that just quite hasn't occurred yet. And it's not just Gary Barta, the playoff selection committee chairman, who's saying these kind of things. Let's go to ESPN's Kirk Kerbstreet, the ESPN College Football Podcast this week. Also, when the subject of Alabama came up. Herb Street also making it very clear right now that when he looks at Bama on that defensive side of the ball, he also just kind of sees a lot to be desired. And the the standard that we've come to expect from the Crimson Tide on that side of the football, that that's just not maybe what Alabama is here in 2021. This is Kirk Herb Street echoing the sentiment that the selection committee chairman Gary Barta expressed on Tuesday night. Well, the secondary continues to be a concern. Uh, communication, the back end, playmaking ability or lack thereof continues to be a, a concern. I guarantee you for Nick Saban, 42-35. But Alabama's, you know, even in this era of offensive football, there's still a prideful bunch on the other side. To see them and consistently have weeks where they win games, but their defense lets them down, that's why it's hard to kind of be all in uh, on Alabama. You know, they, they are not a team that wants to outscore people. But kind of that, that's that's where they are against the better opponents. So at this point in time, I, I think you're probably saying to yourself, well, this is not really new information. The Georgia defense is better than the Alabama defense. For the most part, we all know that. For the most part, we are all aware of that that while Alabama has a great individual player in Will Anderson, the defense itself is just not a great unit all the way around. And then Anderson may be uh, among the only guys currently for Alabama that could have any kind of starring role on UGA. That's how much better the Georgia defense is than the Alabama defense, that a guy like uh, Will Anderson may be the only guy that really stands out for Alabama here at the moment, maybe the only guy that's kind of you know able to do that right now. That may be the, the situation that we're in. But actually, this gets taken a step further than that because Kirk Kerbstreit's going to tell you that the real issue here is not just how the the Alabama defense compares to the Georgia defense because in the SEC championship game, those two units won't be on the field at the same time. What Street says is, is that the vulnerabilities of the Alabama defense are so real that it actually opens up an opportunity for the Georgia offense. And Kirk Street this week on ESPN went into great detail to describe exactly what it is that Georgia might be able to do two Saturdays from now in the SEC championship to exploit what has been a little bit of a season-long weakness for Alabama. Very interesting from Kirk Herbstreit talking about how Todd Munkin can take advantage of this. This is good. So I think they're a little bit vulnerable in the back end, but what frustrates, I think, uh, Pete Golding is, and it's been going on, a team will go trips into the boundary, or they'll do an unusual formation. They'll motion a back out. There's kind of a oh oh feel to it. Yeah. Not everyone quite on the same page, and then and then someone's going tempo on you. Now it's happening fast, and 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 I think the really impact pre pre snap movement is impacting this defense in a very negative way. And you know Georgia and Todd Munkin, 
he's sitting there taking notes on, oh, okay, th- this format, oh, okay, all right. So Alabama's going to see it in Atlanta. So they, mm-hmm. it's like final exam time. They better get that aspect figured out because Munkin is taking notes from the Florida game all the way through. He's seeing little holes that he's going to try to take advantage of. All right, can we have a very candid conversation for a moment? I want to be as honest as I possibly can be. This is the kind of thing, under normal circumstances, that I would very much enjoy hyping up. I'm a little bit of a carnival barker by nature. I like hype. I just do. You know, pro wrestling fan, you know, kind of guy who kind of comes from from that kind of mold. I just like hype. I, I like things like that. And I would love nothing more than to kind of like blast out in the universe. Good-looking headline. Kirk Herbstreet says Todd Munkin's got the key to exploit the weak Alabama defense. Like, doesn't that sound good? That, that, that sounds like exactly what me as a fan would want to hear Kirk Herbstreet say. It's the kind of thing that I think that under normal circumstances, Georgia fans would be really excited about hearing. It just kind of sounds good rolling off the tongue of a guy like Herbstreet, who's such a prominent voice in college football. But here's the thing that makes me really nervous. Over the course of, and I'm, sp- I'm speaking this as a fan here, over the course of the long season that we've in, been through, on a game-by-game basis, Georgia's proven itself to be better than Alabama, and the defensive issues have, have been kind of key here. Look at comparative opponents, you know, common opponents. You know, Georgia shut out Arkansas. Arkansas moved the football with ease against Alabama this past week. Georgia throttled Florida. Alabama-Florida went down to the wire. You're going to see another common opponent on Saturday, albeit a different version of Auburn than the one that Georgia played a few weeks ago. But, but, but nonetheless, by you know, game-to-game results here, I think you see that Georgia has been better than Alabama. But the one reason why I'm a little slow – as wanting to hype up Herb Street saying that Todd Munkin with pre-snap motion and creative play calling can exploit the weakness in the back end of the Alabama defense is because a lot of this reminds me of a conversation that also took place a year ago. And a lot of you remember this, that the Alabama defense was also called into question after last year's Ole Miss game. It was the week before Georgia played Alabama in Tuscaloosa. And Lane Kiffin and that Ole Miss offense just marched up and down the field with ease. And after the game was over with, I'm going to give you an example of this. After the game was over uh, um, with with, uh, Nick Saban standing there in that locker room in Oxford, Mississippi, you know, veteran Alabama reporters were forced to look at him and say, Nick, you're this great defensive coach. This is the thing that you've hung your hat on for the entirety of your career. What does it feel like to essentially see that unit get embarrassed? That's a game that Alabama won, but the Alabama defense got embarrassed against Ole Miss. You know, what what does it feel like to be humbled in, in such a way? And Nick Saban didn't shy away from it there at the time, owned the fact that his Alabama defense had gotten really kicked around by by Ole Miss a year ago. Let me go back in time to 2020 just for a moment. We struggled. We didn't do anything well. Um didn't stop the run, um, gave up some big plays in the back end, um, got picked, um, you know, so didn't, couldn't get the quarterback on the ground when we needed to, even when we got some pressure. Uh, we had some mistakes in coverage. We got picked in coverage. Um, you know, we just didn't play very well, and um, I'm responsible for that, um, and we got to do a better job as coaches to try to 
help put our guys in a better position. When we did get off the field on third down, they went for it on fourth down. They went fast. We never got lined up. They must have converted, you know, three or four fourth down, you know, situations in the game. Just gave up too many big plays, and uh, we just we just got to get better. Everybody on defense has got to play better. So here's the reason why I'm a little slow in wanting to tout Kirk Herbstreit saying, Todd Munkin can exploit this Alabama defense. Because a year ago, when everybody was saying that, and Nick Saban was saying, we got to be better, the Crimson Tide defense did get better. You know, they gave up some first-half stuff against Georgia a year ago, but ultimately the defense was a reason why Alabama won that game and also at least a little bit of a reason why they would also go and win that year's national championship. When facing some criticism, Alabama answered the bell. So here's what we're looking for two weeks from now in the SEC championship. One of two things is going to happen. Either what Gary Barda and Kirk Herbstreit and every other voice that's saying the same thing, maybe they figured it out. And the struggles that Alabama has endured defensively really are a precursor to a convincing George win in the, in the SEC championship that eliminates Alabama from the 2021 discussion. And maybe the season-long story was always leading, this to, leading us to this moment, that Alabama is just not quite Alabama here this year, and Georgia is on the doorstep of proving that in a couple of weeks. Or maybe we got one more example of Alabama, when facing criticism, when now having some legitimate doubt to fuel and motivate them, Maybe they answer that bell one more time and they find something defensively against Georgia that they have not been able to find all year long. But then there's also this. And this is my final point of the matter. Much the same way that Alabama enters the SEC championship game in two weeks with nobody believing in their defense, doesn't Georgia kind of go into that same game with the same kind of thing going on? That Much the same way a lot of folks point to Alabama and say, ah, defense not really good. Don't you have some folks also saying the same thing about the Georgia offense? And what's maybe more frustrating for a Georgia fan is is that you've got data to point to to explain why the Alabama defense isn't very good. But the actual data supporting the Georgia offense would say that it is a good offense. But some people still don't kind of believe that anyway. Which actually brings me something back to Kirk Herbstreit again. Because much the same way the Alabama defense wants to prove to people that, that it is better than what the common narrative that exists around it is. The Georgia offense actually kind of finds itself in a couple of weeks in the same kind of scenario with some legitimate doubters who legitimately don't believe that unit's good enough to get it done. In the same way the Alabama defense wants to prove a lot of folks wrong, I think you can say the Georgia offense kind of wants to do the same thing. Here's Kirk Herbstreit again. Georgia, I feel like they're better than people want to give them credit. All you hear about is the Georgia defense for obvious reasons. But that offense with Bennett and those backs and the receivers – getting better and the tight ends that they have, they, they are much more capable than I think people realize offensively. So there it is. That's the SEC championship in a nutshell. It's the Georgia offense versus the Alabama defense with the Alabama defense having folks saying, you're not any good. You don't look like Alabama. This is what we've come to expect from the Crimson Tide. And this is the reason why Crimson Tide won't win the SEC or the national championship here this season. Conversely, on the other side of the ball, a lot of naysayers saying, ah, Stetson Bennett's not any good. Georgia offense not any good. This unit's not capable of getting it done. This unit doesn't belong in the same conversation as the Georgia defense. Which of those two units answers that bell two Saturdays from now? Which of those two units earns the right to prove their doubters wrong? That is a tremendous storyline as we get ready for the SEC championship next Saturday. 
My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you, and thanks for being with us on our final show of the week. Whether you're getting to us 945 for DogNation.com, DogNation app, first and 15, or 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, all those other platforms there as well. However you get to us, just really appreciate you being a part of what we're doing. And a special thanks for Meriwether and Tharp for making it all possible. You know, obviously the holiday season is so much fun for so many of us, but for others, it can be a real challenge. It can highlight something that's maybe been true for a while, but only seems more obvious and more apparent in those holiday times of year. I'm talking about the idea of a divorce, that that maybe it's the kind of thing that's on your mind as the year comes to a close, that maybe you are ready to turn a new chapter and start a new new you know chapter of your life here as we head towards uh, 2022 well if that's the f- place that you find yourself in first of all let me just say that i'm sorry I- i'm sorry that you're they're experiencing that and you're making you're having those feelings and while i can't wave a magic wand and take that tension away from you i can tell you this that the entire process can be made easier and the end result made more satisfactory by putting a hard-working advocate by your side. I'm talking about my friends at Meriwether and Tharp. They're your source for Georgia divorce. You've got questions about the divorce process. Meriwether and Tharp has answers. It starts with a lot of free resources, blog posts, podcasts, things like that, initial consultation with one of their attorneys. You can find out a lot more about that at their website. And then you can make the decision to hire them and put them to work for you and let them explain how the law impacts your finances, relationship with children, and all the other things that matter when it comes to the divorce process. So check out Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia Divorce online at the Atlanta Divorce Team.com. That's the Atlanta Divorce Team.com. All right, uh, it's Mike Griffith for us coming up here in just a couple of minutes. We'll talk to Mike about everything going on with uh, UGA, including key injury updates based on practice, including a little fun maybe related to George Pickens. We'll do some of that with Mike here in just a bit. Before that, though, I do want to go around the doghouse, furnished today by our friends at Rooms to Go, and a couple of things we got to get to here. Let's do one kind of fun thing and then one a lot less fun thing. So yesterday, a very weird thing happened. The Mackey Award is the award that goes out to the nation's top tight end. It seems hardly imaginable that any tight end could play better this year than uh, freshman tight end Brock Bowers has played for UGA. He's on his way to being, you know, uh, among, if not the most prolific pass-catching target thus far in the Kirby Smart era, he's a touchdown machine. What does he have? A total of nine, eight through the air, one on the ground, I believe, if I'm uh, counting all this up uh, correctly. I mean, it's uh, it's been a sensational year for Bowers, but apparently not sensational enough that the people at the Mackey Award uh, nominated him, named him as one of the three finalists for that award. Now, the dirty little secret with college football is there are a lot of people who love being around the sport, and there are a lot of people who love working in the sport. But not all those people love watching the sport, and you see just examples of this in the media and amongst the the, the key decision makers of college football all the time. That 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 sometimes the people at the top of the food chain don't love watching the sport as much as the rest of us sometimes do. And when you're not watching the sport, it's pretty clear, you know, what you're kind of missing out on. And so the case of Bowers, uh, they missed out on the sensational season that he's put together here this year. It also got the attention. This is great. A lot of you know four-star tight end Oscar Delp, UGA commit, and possibly the kind of guy who's actually mentioned Bowers by name for one of the reasons why he chose Georgia. He wants to follow in Bowers' footsteps and enjoy the same kind of success in this UGA offense that Bowers is currently enjoying. Well, Oscar's mom, Mary Delp, uh, 
had a really strong response to 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 Bowers not being named one of the Mackey finalists yesterday. Let me show you this on the screen here. We don't always do parent tweets on the show, but this was good enough. Felt like we had to. So the finalists are Trey McBride from Colorado State, Charlie Kolar from Iowa State, and uh, Jalen Watermeyer from uh, Texas A&M. It's also kind of weird that like Michael Mayer from Notre Dame didn't get nominated, but ultimately Georgia fans don't really care about the Irish. Uh, Mary Delt writes in to say, where is Brock Bauer's name? She says, shameful, shameful, shameful. And so uh, Mrs. Delt there speaking uh, the way that Georgia fans certainly all feel kind of the same way there. It's just bizarre. I mean, like, there's really no explanation for this whatsoever. It's just one of those gigantic oversights that, that there'll never be any clear answer on. And it kind of, I think, causes you to question the whole awards process. I mean, we saw one of the same things with Jordan Davis and the Lombardi Award going back a few weeks ago that – that some of this stuff is just inexplicably awful, and there's just really no ex, you know, you know, no reasoning beyond that. Sometimes these awards just kind of swing and miss, and the Mackey Award swung and missed in a big way when it comes to Bowers, whose numbers obviously speak for themselves. And listen, eventually he'll get the awards that matter. He's going to in a couple of years be on NFL draft radars, and I'm sure he's going to get all kinds of All American type stuff. But the Mackey Award had the chance to do the right thing here, and they clearly failed on that. And it's kind of fun to see Marydale, the mother of a future, what we think is going to be great tight end at Georgia, kind of having the reaction that the rest of the dog nation kind of had about all that. What is less fun is the situation with Nyland Green, and it's just one of those things where you kind of have to awkwardly transition to this. But I at least want to, to mention this. Uh, Mike Griffith reporting at dognation.com. I want to make sure I read this, get the uh, facts right, that, uh, that Green was arrested. Of course, he's a freshman defense back. Y'all know that. Early Wednesday morning, multiple charges here, according to the to the booking recap. So it's a couple of felony charges, carrying a weapon in a school zone and criminal damage to property. There are also a couple of misdemeanor charges here related to reckless conduct. That's the allegation against Green here at the moment. What Mike is reporting, and I I certainly you know don't don't know anything about this other than what I'm reading here from Mike. But what Mike is reporting is that a source with knowledge of the situation told Dog Nation the weapon involved believed to be a BB gun. So obviously, I, I don't know about any of this kind of stuff. I don't really even know what to say about it. Um, uh, obviously, this is not the kind of headline that George wants to be dealing with. But the program is also you know, pretty locked in. I, I don't imagine they spend too much time stuck in the uh, mud on this. You just sort of hope in the case of Green that he hasn't made some decisions here that are going to stick with him for a long time and impact his future but at this point in time it's too early to know other than the fact that he was arrested there are allegations out there there are some charges that is what green is dealing with and it's not a pleasant thing to bring up here but uh it is one of those things we need to make sure that you are aware of you can go to dognation.com for more details on that and that is around the doghouse furnished today by our friends at rooms to go and listen this is the holiday time of year got a lot of folks coming over and you know the feeling that exists when you're bringing people into your home and you feel good about the home that you're bringing them into and obviously the furnishings in your home is one of the things that make you feel comfortable it's one of the things that makes you feel proud of the place that you live especially holiday decoration things like that good looking furniture to go along with that always makes a lot of sense And that's where rooms to go can step in here whether it's that new bedroom that you need your kids need new bedroom furniture outdoor patio furniture it's amazing how many people now are making bigger and better use of their outdoor living space and rooms to go is there for you there as well you know, dining room, living room, all the stuff, whether it's the full room, that's obviously what Rooms to Go is famous for, but that individual piece, they can do that for you there as well. You can start your shopping experience in store. You can actually sit on the stuff or lay on the stuff that's going to be in your home and find out how good it's going to feel when it is there 
in your home. Or you can start your shopping experience online there, too. Everything that you need from Rooms to Go, just a fingertip away. So the website is roomstogo.com. That's the word to spelled out T-O. Roomstogo.com. Or just stop by and see them in store. What a great time to be back shopping and enjoying some brand new furniture for a brand new year. That seems like a pretty great idea, and Rooms to Go gives you a chance to do just that. As we get ready to welcome in Mike Griffith here, I'll remind you that Dog Nation also going to be back this upcoming Thursday, I should say a week from tomorrow, next Thursday, Marlowe's Brookhaven for a terrific event there at Marlowe's Tavern. It's our Chase of the Championship event going down there. A lot of the Dog Nation folks on hand to preview the big game that following Saturday and a lot of fun to be had with the chef-inspired food, the craft cocktails, all that great stuff at Marlowe's. That's next Thursday. Marlowe's Brookhaven location starts at 6 p.m. Go to dognation.com. You can find out more details about that. But Dog Nation, excited to be back amongst the people again and at one of our favorite spots, home away from home, if you will, Marlowe's Tavern. Can't wait to be there next Thursday. All right, so a lot to get into with Mike here. There's update on practice. Mike got to see some of that this week. Update on injuries. We'll do a little bit of the green stuff there as well. And try to cover all the bases here on our final day heading into the Thanksgiving conclusion to the week. So let's get a Georgia Farm Bureau practice report with Mike Griffith here on Dog Nation Daily. And glad to have all of you with us as well. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. All right, let's say hello to Mike Griffith. Dog Nation practice report here brought to you by Georgia Farm Bureau and Mike, I gave some of the details on this a moment ago, and I don't know if there's really even much to expound upon beyond what you've written at DogNation.com, but Nylon Green, who obviously is a you know touted member of the 2021 signing class, although he's not played a huge role on the field for Georgia this season, you know, doesn't change his future outlook necessarily, but uh, rested on some charges here. A couple of these have the ring of being pretty serious. You mentioned a uh, source saying that there's a BB gun involved here. Um, can you um, can you shed any more light on these allegations as it relates to Green? This obviously breaking just before we take the air this morning. Yeah, it, it looks like now, BA, that the report should, that there's a couple of uh, BB guns involved here um, and, uh, and and a window that that may have been shot out. Uh, again, I mean, you know, it, these are felony charges, and I and I understand public consumption is, you know, wow, this is just BB guns and kids, but. Uh, you know the the way the law interprets uh, BB guns, uh, you know, it, it may be different. And you know, obviously, we have an obligation to report the news and and the charges. It's a felony charge. I mean, if you look it up on the jail recap, it's a weapons charge. A weapon is a weapon um, uh, in the eyes of the law. In this case, now it, how this plays out, does it get you know reduced later? Uh, you know, I know there's been instances of, of other Georgia players past years that may have had similar circumstances. Um, you know, it, it's not an end of the world type of thing, but it's still a disappointing behavior in that it doesn't indicate the focus uh, and that the uh, the all-in mentality that, that Kirby wants. Now, Nyland Green is seldom used. He's only played in three games. He's at the bottom of the depth chart. Uh, may have been a likely transfer regardless. Um, but still, anytime there's an incident like this, uh, you know, obviously the authorities uh, treated it seriously, arresting him uh, around 2.40 a.m., um, and obviously Kirby Smart will, will take it serious, too. And, and it brings, uh, it, it's just another potential distraction for a team that's enjoying, you know, what, what could arguably be 
uh, the best season in history if the Bulldogs are able to finish undefeated. Yeah, so obviously we'll uh, let this play out and see where it goes from uh, there. And any uh, changes, obviously, Mike will be about changes in status. Mike will obviously update for you there at dognation.com. On a much happier note, Mike, the subject of George Pickens continues to be kicked around. Eyewitness accounts, you and uh, others there from a practice here this week, Smart's own words on this too. And just the idea that folks have kind of always had that end of season circled as a possible opportunity for Pickens. What do you think the chances are that George Pickens plays before this year is done based on the ongoing discussions around that idea in Athens again this week? Yeah, I think that's always been the plan. I think the Florida game was actually originally targeted by the family. Uh, and, and it's kind of one of those, you know, hey, let's, you know, you can wait. We, we, we get by Florida. Although <laughs> it was 3-0 to zero with three minutes left, I was starting to get a little nervous there in the first half. But, but uh no, but yeah, I think he's going to play, and, and I've watched him, you know, uh, at these practices, and I'll tell you, you know, it's it's routes on air, the part that we get to see, but he's, he's faster than the guy working across from him. They have two guys run at the same time and, you know, run parallel, and, and, and George is faster, quicker, and comes out of his break stronger. Now, Kirby has told us that there's some strength tests on the sidebacks that need to be met um, before George is, is able to be cleared to play, but, but if he's going with the twos and the threes now instead of the scout team, and Kirby's reintroducing terminology, you know, that tells you he's going to play because Kirby wouldn't take those reps away from somebody else that's going to play to give them to George unless he felt like George was going to play. The question is, does he get a few snaps in the Georgia Tech game, uh, you know, just to kind of get the feel again? You know, I don't know that you necessarily want to throw him out there against Alabama and have that be his first action back. You know, or or do we wait for the Alabama game? Or do they does he not pass the test and we're really waiting for the playoff games? But no doubt the news is promising that he's working with the twos and the threes, uh, and, and he'd be catching passes from JT Daniels again, uh, working with that two unit. And, you know, it's a similar path to what Dominic Blaylock traveled in that, you know, at, one, at least I'm, let me say this this way. There's a chance this is a similar path to what Dominic Blaylock traveled in that, one point in time a few weeks ago, you weren't really quite sure when Blaylock was going to play again. Then, sure. lo, then, lo, then lo and behold, he you know wears that uniform and you know goes to Tennessee, travels there that day. Then a week after that, he's actually playing in the game against Charleston Southern. That that you have you know the potential here for the same kind of thing to occur. You know, Pickens put on a uniform last week, didn't play in the game, and you know may not have even been cleared to do so, but he did have the uniform on. And, you know, maybe that does set him up to now make a token appearance against Georgia Tech and then one more step towards the Alabama thing. Admittedly, that's wishful thinking on my part, a guy that likes Pickens and would just like to see him play again. But there is a fairly similar comparison here in the uh, journey that Blaylock's been on these last few weeks. Yeah, and in the case of George, just the fact that he stuck with the program and when many of us wondered and speculated, you know, well, is he going to stay in the program or is he just going to get his own trainer and work out? You know, because if you work out in the Georgia program, you know, there, there's a lot of boxes to check to be a part of this place that, that maybe you don't have if you're just training in, you know, South Florida with a professional trainer while you're rehab. So the fact that Georgia stayed with the team and stayed close and stayed involved was an indicator that he was going to try to play this season at some point. Uh, now, this was an injury that happened March 23rd. So we're talking about an eight-month window right now, which which still seems early. Um, but you know, if he's been to Dr. James Andrews for consultation, world-renowned orthopedic specialist in Birmingham, I think folks know that. 
and if they're watching him closely on the Cybex and the testing, um, you know, I think those are all good signs. Let me also get an update from you on some of those other injury situations. You know, guys like Jamar Salyer, there's Nolan Smith, there's some of those other names that are out there. What do you think about the rest of the – Christopher Smith Maybe obviously a very prominent name to mention just given the fact that I witnessed you know, having a chance to see him walking in the field last Saturday. Boy, he was walking pretty gingerly. Uh, just That's just you know my eyewitness account of having seen that. You know, what can you tell us about the rest of the health situation for Georgia here right now? Well, it sounds like Jamari Sellier is going to be back. You know, he was working with the first team some. And, and again, I, I think Broderick Jones has, you know, performed admirably there. Although Kirby yesterday outlined uh, what we've said all along that they'd like Brock, Broderick to be stronger at the point of attack in the run game. Um, but you want to get Sellier back out there. You know, you kind of want to iron out the wrinkles. You know, this is the final preseason game before the postseason, as I say, or uh, as I referred to it when I was talking to Kirby yesterday, the final warm up game. Uh, before you play Alabama and, and you know, <laughs> playoffs, essentially. Um, the Christopher Smith injury is the one to circle. That yeah. That is a potentially um, pivotal injury when you consider the competition that you could face in the playoffs uh, with Alabama and Ohio State. Two teams with vertical threats, um, you know, Smith being just a, a really important part back there. I mean, you've got Lewis Seen, but there, there's no real answer – for Smith, Brandon, I feel like, you know, Georgia is so, so very talented and developed. You know, when Jamari Sellier went out and you, you went to Broderick Jones, was there a drop-off? Yeah, but but it, but it wasn't a major drop-off. Broderick Jones got the job done. You know, if, if uh, you know, Kendall Milton goes down or Kenny McIntosh or Samir or James Cook, there's another back. Darnell Washington misses half the season, or, four, or I should say four or five games. He's still not 100%, Kirby said yesterday, but there's Brock Bowers. The, the, the point, you know, you know, incident with Adam Anderson, you know, next man up, Jenny Tindell. There's been so much depth, but when we get into the secondary, we don't have that, that next guy up that's close to Smith. I think there's a noticeable drop in the nickel and dime packages that opponents will look to exploit. And I think we saw that early against Tennessee before they made an adjustment. Uh, but now Kirby's going to need to develop. He's really going to need somebody to step up if if Christopher Smith can't go. And he has yet to practice this week. Um, so that, that does put his status in question not only for this game, but we have to start wondering about whether he'll play against Alabama. Is our Georgia Farm Bureau practice report with Mike Griffith here on Dog Nation Daily here today. And obviously a lot of you hopefully enjoying some time off here this week after working hard all year long. And obviously hardworking folks like the folks that listen to us here each and every day need that dependable transportation to get where they're going. That's the thing that you trust to get you where you need to go to get that job done each and every day. And dependable transportation also means dependable auto insurance. One of the most important decisions that you can make there, you want an auto insurance provider that keeps its promises to you. And that's what... Georgia Farm Bureau does and has been doing for Georgians since 1959. Uh, Georgia Farm Bureau, the one you turn to for all that, it's agents and it's claims adjusters. These are folks that live and work right there in communities just like yours all across the uh, great state of Georgia. That is what Georgia Farm Bureau is all about. They're always the home team, and they're a great resource for you when it comes to auto insurance. So make sure you check them out. You can find them online, gfbinsurance.com gfbinsurance.com that's how you can learn more about what georgia farm bureau can do for you when it comes to auto insurance all right mike let's finish with this if you don't mind you're going to be in tuscaloosa excuse me in auburn on saturday for the iron bowl between alabama and auburn and 
boy, there's a lot of criticism coming Alabama's way. We played a lot of this before the start of the show. Maybe most prominently, Gary Barta, playoff selection committee chairman last night, really highlighting the failings this season of the Alabama defense. Now, admittedly, some of this stuff was said a year ago in Alabama, for the most part, righted the ship before the year is done. But, boy, it's getting late, and in 2021, Bama hasn't quite done that yet. I mean, how much of a of an opportunity you know ahead of this SEC championship game do you think Auburn provides for an Alabama defense to show that you know I know it's backup quarterback and Auburn's now kind of out of the out of the you know conversation because of the fact they've lost some games now. But is Alabama ever going to flip a switch and look like Alabama here this year? Well, I guess it depends on which Alabama you're, which version of Alabama you're looking for. You know, the the offense certainly looks dynamic, and you know, as to the committee. You know, reading between the lines, Brandon, you know, because of where Notre Dame is positioned, I think what we're seeing get set up here is if Georgia beats Alabama, Alabama's out. I think a one-loss Notre Dame uh, gets in ahead of Alabama, and, and they're setting that up with these precursors of discussion. It would have been nice if they would have cared about defense when Georgia got left out for Oklahoma in 2018, but that's a, a conversation uh, for another day. But I think what you're seeing is the committee position themselves in two ways. One, Moving Ohio State above Alabama, uh, what that does is that means that if if uh, if Alabama were to beat Georgia, they could avoid a Georgia Alabama rematch in the first round of the playoff because they positioned Ohio State uh, ahead of Alabama. So Ohio State would be one if we play that scenario out, where Alabama somehow upsets Georgia. Uh, Ohio State stays one. Uh, Bama stays two, Cincinnati moves up to three, Georgia plays four. So you avoid an Alabama-Georgia rematch. So that's one reason that I think they're accentuating uh, the negatives. The second reason is if Alabama loses to Georgia, the concept of a two-loss Bama getting in uh, I I think goes out the window, provided Notre Dame takes care of business ahead of Stanford. Alabama carries a big stick and a lot of public perception, but it's not bigger than Notre Dame. And so I think that this is a very strategic, that the information that's put out is always strategic. And when you cover Kirby Smart, you have to learn to listen closely because it's as much about what they don't say, what they do choose to talk about. And to me, uh, this is the committee positioning themselves to, to uh, handle the, the playoff rankings uh, appropriately and in the best interest of the television ratings, whether Georgia beats Alabama or whether Alabama beats Georgia. I got one footnote for you because I know you're a big Jordan Davis guy. As I said, you were one of the first guys to notice Jordan's talents. Uh, Jordan right now is one of three finalists for the Nagurski Award, which is the defensive Heisman, as well as the Outland Trophy, which goes to the best lineman on offense or defense. There have only been four players in the history of college football to win both of those awards. They are Rob Waldrop, Glenn Dorsey from LSU, and Dominican Sue, and Aaron Donald. So Jordan Davis finds himself uh, on the verge of, of making a very elite list. Uh, just the fact that he's a finalist for both is, is, is stupendous. I think you'd have to go back to Aaron Donald to find the last guy that did that, um, and that is certainly worth noting. Yeah, but one more thing on the Alabama thing, and that is I appreciate that, that stat. But, Mike, I don't see this being overly complicated right now. You know, I had been fine with Bama being number two. I thought they were the second-best team in the country. But at a certain point in time, if you want to justify that status, 
you got to show it by by handling teams with ease. And, you know, teams that Georgia blew out, Florida and Arkansas, you know, Alabama's kind of going down to the wire with. And none of this is a guarantee for the SEC championship plays out. Alabama remains a formidable foe for Georgia. But in terms of justifying Alabama at number two right now, you just don't have the week to week weak results to justify that too close against Arkansas too close against LSU on and on you can go of games that are supposed to be Alabama blowouts they're just not blowing people out right now they don't stop enough people to blow people out yeah I think you're right I think there's certain offenses that you know have shown they can score points against Alabama certainly KJ Jefferson a very dynamic and strong quarterback and the, the, the Hogs we're fully engaged with the special teams, uh, you know, play. I think you're right, Brandon. Um, you know, that Alabama defense is in question. And yet when I look at the national rankings, they still, they still rank pretty high against the run. Um, it's going to take a team that can throw to exploit Alabama. That's what I've seen. Really the only team that, that's, that's really had uh, a lot of success with a, a conventional run game is Florida. Uh, nobody else has really made a living running on the tide. So as I've looked at this game with Auburn this weekend, um, and obviously we're going to be there at Dog Nation because we want to write about Alabama immediately afterward as we're going to quickly turn our attention to the SEC championship game. Uh, the way that Auburn is going to win this game or, or stay close is that they have to run the ball. Tank Bigsby is going to have to run the ball effectively. And uh, that, that seems to be the key is to have some degree of success with the run game. To your point, uh, no, Alabama is, is not as dominant uh, as they've been in terms of uh, you know margin of victory. You know, but I look at Ohio State, and uh, you know it wasn't too long ago Penn State, Nebraska, you know playing them within single digits, and I dare say uh, Penn State and, and Nebraska aren't any better in my book than uh, Arkansas at this stage of the season. Uh, good stuff, Mike. Thanks for being here, and uh, we'll enjoy your coverage from from uh, Auburn on Saturday and of course I uh, hope you have a very happy Thanksgiving as well and uh, we'll enjoy the chance to get a chance to uh, chat with you soon likewise DA thank you let's take a look around the rest of the league this is SEC through yeah so obviously we'll talk more about the playoff rankings this week chase the championship myself and John Stenchcomb that's coming up for the dog nation video channels this afternoon 3 p.m. SEC country live there as well and like the one thing I keep having to say here is is that None of this guarantees the result for the SEC championship. I mean, I'm not really quite so sure there is an in-season result, regular season, that would cause me to say, well, that's it, SEC championship, um, you know, no big deal. It's kind of uh, it's kind of salted away here right now. I'm not quite so sure I could ever get there. But, but um, when you look at how the teams have played during the regular season, there's no doubt regular season perception, the, pa- the, the gap is widening between Georgia and Alabama. And we'll see if Alabama can do something to close that when they actually play come December. Let me also tell you, we're going to be cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean here. And we're also getting ready to actually do some real live cruising with Royal Caribbean there as well. In, in fact, we're getting ready for those to go on sale here very soon. Next week, November 29th is when it all goes down. That's the on-sale date for the Dog Nation cruise, April 25th through the 29th, leaving from Port Canaveral. Going to Perfect Day Coco Cay. That's the special private island exclusive for Royal Caribbean cruisers. Uh, those on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. Also spending a day in, in Nassau in the Bahamas there as well. Our buddy Wise Dog on Twitter reached out about this. The word is getting out. The Dog Nation is going to do this. And this is a great time for all of you to be a part of. I can promise you we're going to let our hair down and have a great time. 
It's going to be me, our buddy Mike Griffith. I think it's going to be a part of it. Jeff Sintel going to be a part of it there as well. It's the week of the NFL draft, so we'll do kind of a fun like draft thing party that Thursday night. We'll have some other special Dog Nation events taking place throughout the time on the ship. Obviously, just enjoying all the other great things that go along with being on a Royal Caribbean cruise ship there as well. We're going to be on the Independence of the Seas. It's going to be an unbelievable time with Royal Caribbean, and we're going to spend a lot of time talking about all the great stuff that's going to be going down there. So I can't wait to showcase it all with you. It's going to be incredible. So November 29th is when it goes on sale. Go ahead and be getting ready to make your plans to be a part of that with us. In fact, let me let you know about the Cruise and Vacation Authority. Our partners with all of this, Dog Nation, Royal Caribbean, we're going to, we're going to use the Cruise and Vacation Authority as our official source to get all of this booked with. Uh, so the website to go to, you can kind of go ahead and kind of get familiar with this, tcava.com. That's the website, tcava.com. You can also give them a call, 770-952-8300, 770-952-8300. We're going to be on Independence of the Seas, cruising out of Port Canaveral, going to Perfect Day, Coco Cay, going to Nassau on the Bahamas, and having a great time on the first ever Dog Nation cruise. I really can't wait to do this. This is going to be so much fun. By the way, speaking of having fun, let me tell you who else continues to have fun. That's Missouri coach Eli Drinkwitz. Now, by now, the Dan Mullen era is over at Florida, and Drinkwitz played a big role in kind of how he got there with his win and troll of Florida and the May the Force Be With You line uh, from uh, from last Saturday. But apparently, Drinkwitz is still on his victory tour here a little bit. So he goes on the sports radio station in Jacksonville, 1010XL, and was asked about you know the Florida thing from a year ago where Mullen had worn the Darth Vader costume and probably played you know, a little too much of a role in inciting a brawl at halftime and you know we said this back then Florida fans thought we were wrong but clearly we were right uh this I think played a role in the demise of Mullen's reputation within the program within the institution there at Florida so Drinkwitz goes on the sports radio station in Jacksonville this is in the Sunshine State here a lot of Florida fans live in Jacksonville and Drinkwitz talking to the host says that my father was a farmer and there's an old saying that you reap what you sow if you sow kindness, you reap kindness. If you sow something else, and he uses a different word, you uh, you sow that there as well. So you know he goes on the uh, radio, and he's talking it up and feeling pretty good about his win against Dan Mullen in Florida and not letting up on that at all. So, uh, you know, listen, the idea of not kicking Dan Mullen when he's down, that is a foreign idea to Eli Drinkwitz, who is keeping all that going. So the other thing that happened last night, college football playoff rankings, was Cincinnati now moves up in the four spot, highest anyone's ever been ranked from the group of five, and it opens up the door to the very real possibility that Cincinnati, if it does win out, will be in the playoff. And this is not something I expected to happen. And the honest truth is, somehow, some way, I still can't be quite so sure they won't exclude Cincinnati because I don't believe that there's any desire to put a group of five team in. But the actual results of this year are just making it hard to do otherwise. The Pac-12 has eliminated itself. The ACC has eliminated itself. Big 12 kind of hanging on by a thread right now. Uh, Alabama, in terms of justifying itself as the second SEC team, is not exactly doing that with with much panache right now. But the door is open for Cincinnati. And Mike, I think, brings up a fair point that if the door is open for Cincinnati, the other team they kind of bring back in the discussion here is Notre Dame. Notre Dame is playing a pretty good brand of football right now. They have a very good chance to be an 11-1 and team, only loss to a Cincinnati team that could be – excuse me. Sorry about that sneeze there. Uh, it's a Cincinnati team that, that you know, could be in the field and bringing with it Notre Dame. And so this very much becomes a part of the discussion. Still have my eye on both those teams in the Big Ten. 
you know, does the result for Michigan and Ohio State leave the door open for the for the loser of that game to remain involved in this discussion? I've at least got my mind on that a little bit. But of all the results of the season, the one that's going to sting the longest is Michigan State beating Michigan. Because right now, Michigan really is a part of the playoff discussion. The Michigan-Ohio State game on Saturday, I think has a chance to be a really pretty good game. But Michigan's playoff discussion right now could be far different. Maybe not having to have the Ohio State win. Maybe not having to have the Big Ten championship. They could have been more a part of the playoff discussion had they just found a way to hold on and beat Michigan State a few weeks ago. So that's a big, big result here this season. A couple other things to get to here really quickly. Uh, so Mike Gundy was asked this week about the future of Bedlam once Oklahoma goes to the SEC. Gundy really taking a page from the old Texas Texas A&M playbook, suggesting that when Oklahoma's not in the same conference anymore, there's a chance those two teams don't play every year anymore after that. Now, maybe this is just posturing. Maybe this is real. Who really knows? But you know, a lot of folks kind of wonder, what's the future of Georgia-Georgia Tech? Well, if you're not going to play Bedlam, which is a much better rivalry uh, than Georgia-Georgia Tech is, there's just more – just people in Oklahoma just care about the rivalry more than people seem to care about Georgia and Georgia Tech. Um, if there's a chance that, that Bedlam's not going to be played every year going forward, you better believe that Georgia Georgia Tech is at least susceptible to the same kind of thought process, the same kind of evolution around the sport. So Gundy's words maybe something you should pay attention to. Uh, I also skipped this. Let me let me go back. I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> I apologize to our producer Michael Carvel because I'm now going out of order on our rundown here. Uh, Lane's Kiffin, speaking of rivalry games, takes a little bit of heat for, I don't know, it sort of seemed like he downplayed the Egg Bowl a little bit this week, which I don't like because I love the Egg Bowl. So Kiffin kind of downplayed that, saying, first of all, he criticized his own fans because he said he wasn't sure how many would show up in Starkfield given the fact that he wasn't impressed with the crowd for the Vanderbilt game. So Ole Miss fans weren't happy about that. Then Kiffin kind of shrugged off the Egg Bowl, saying that you shouldn't hate someone simply because of where they're from or where they went to school, or whatever it was that Kiffin said. And honestly, that don't be a wet blanket, Lane. I mean, d- d- you know, don't do that. No one, capital H, hates anybody when it comes to sports. This is sports hate, and it's all in good fun. Now, the Ole Miss, Texas, uh, Mississippi State thing, it may toe the line of what's acceptable, you know, the Overton window of how this kind of stuff can be discussed. Egg Bowl might be right there against the edge of all that, but don't be a wet blanket when it comes to this. Some people have said, people are saying, that uh, maybe this isn't a sign that Lane Kiffin really is on his way to Miami or something like that if he's kind of you know, uh, shrugging off the egg bowl. I, I can tell you this. I-, I know Lane thinks he's Mr. Cool, but if you act casual about the egg bowl and then go in there and get beat by Mississippi State, especially when you've been all cozy and buddy-buddy and friendly with Mike Leach, let Ole Miss fans see that and see how they treat you when that's all said and done. You may wish you were taking the Miami job if this is going to be your attitude towards the egg bowl, so keep your eye on that. T.J. Finley, the Auburn quarterback, we'll do more of this in SEC Country Live today, has also talked about his role in the Iron Bowl, about how it was not really a game that he was aware of kind of growing up, but now he's kind of come to expect it. But he says he actually you know, feels pretty, uh, you know, pretty calm about the whole thing. We'll see if that's also his feeling when the game is actually played there on Saturday. Obviously, quarterbacks for Auburn have done pretty well when getting a chance to play at home uh, against this uh, Crimson Tide team on Saturday, and we'll see if T.J. Finley becomes the next in that regard. We'll also make that your sec through let me also uh, give a shout out to my friends at the finish long drink i saw somebody in athens on saturday so we're sitting there at the restaurant and this is like so perfect in that um um we're sitting there i was with my family my mom was with me my wife and my two kids were with me there as well and in the booth where we're sitting like just above us there was like a finished long drink 
what do you call it, like, I don't know, like a sign. It's like a poster or a sign, almost like a license plate type thing. It was like just right there in the booth above us. And this guy walked up. He's like, you know, it's very appropriate that you're sit- sitting at the finished long drink booth. And I thought it kind of was there as well. And he kind of said jokingly, hey, does your wife really have a bunch of this in your, in your refrigerator? I said, well, we both do. We both love the finished laundry. Like, this really is true. Like, I mean, first of all, I'm not smart enough to lie. I'm not cool enough to get away with it. I don't have enough, like, street smarts to be able to pull something like that off. I only tell you the unvarnished truth here on this program. And my entire neighborhood has fallen in love with the finished long drink because our story really is not that much different than a lot of yours. Before this year, I'll admit I had not really heard of the finished long drink. Uh, I wasn't even really familiar with that category. You know, it looks like a beer, but it's not. It's a ready-to-drink cocktail that comes out of the can. This wasn't even really a category of beverage that I knew all that much about. But over the course of the – it was really the summer for me. A lot of times we take it to the pool with us. Over the course of the summer, it became something that I just really enjoyed, and I was really glad that I found out about. And a lot of you over the course of that same time kind of said the same thing. It's been a huge part of your tailgates, and now we move into the holiday time. we got holiday parties coming up here. I know a lot of you are getting stocked up for that. When it comes to that, you've been to thelongdrink.com. You've seen the four different varieties they have. The long drink traditional, blue can with the citrus flavor, the gin kick, long drink cranberry, which obviously has the cranberry flavor, and that is admittedly my wife's favorite. Long drink strong, black can, 8.5% alcohol by volume, long drink zero, no carbs, no sugar. And you're saying, well, now which one do I want to try? If I've never tried it before, which one do I want to try? Well, the good news is you don't have to make a decision. You can go to thelongdrink.com, put in your zip code, find out where it's for sale near you, beverage stores and bars and golf courses and things like that. And really, you can get one of those eight-can variety packs, which includes two different uh, cans of the four different varieties. So that's a really fun thing. So make sure you check that today from our friends at The Long Drink. Check out thelongdrink.com to find out where it's for sale near you, and I think you'll be really glad that you did that. All right, so let's talk some Georgia Georgia Tech here for a quick moment before we get ready to wrap things up. In the summer point time, we're going to try to do shorter shows. I'm not really quite sure when that's going to happen, but we're going to try to, you know... (laughs) shorten the length of these shows here at some point in time but we talked on yesterday's show about kirby smart's true feelings for georgia georgia tech and how that smart might kind of shrug it off publicly and say georgia's got a lot of rivalries and tech's no different than any other and you understand why a coach would need to say some things like that but secretly we have some evidence some reasons to believe that no, the, the the rivalry game does truly mean a lot to Kirby Smart. I want to give you another example of this. Let's go back to 2017 for a moment. We said on yesterday's show that Smart has personal reasons to care about the Georgia-Georgia Tech rivalry because in Smart's first year as Georgia coach, Tech actually beat Georgia, and it was kind of a shocking result when it happened. And we talked about our buddy Mike Johnson, who experienced the same thing in Alabama, that in Nick Saban's first year at Alabama, he lost to Auburn, and so suddenly the rivalry went from being hey, this is a thing that a lot of people care about. Now this is the thing that I care about because now this team gave me an L, and now I want to get the personal measure of revenge uh, against my in-state rival. Well, Kirby Smart probably didn't need that to begin with because he did play at Georgia, so he's got that deeper tie already. But, you know, Smart had plenty of reason to also hate Tech in the present tense because they did sneak up and get him there in 2016. And then in 2017, we kind of called the revenge tour. If you were with us way back in 2017, we talked a lot about this, that Georgia was going to go back through and beat every team that had beaten it from 2016. Actually, the one team to beat it in 2017, at least in the regular season, Georgia also got some more revenge against them in the Dog Nation retaliation of the SEC championship game there against Auburn. But the final regular season version of that was that game against Georgia Tech. That was the conclusion of the revenge tour. And... 
We talked about that a lot on the show for that particular year. Apparently, Kirby Smart also kind of got some wind of that there, too, because that was on his mind when Georgia beat Tech back in 2017. Here's a little flashback from then to get you ready from clean, old-fashioned hate. Rivalry renewal coming up on Saturday. This is Kirby. A lot of our seniors talked about, you know, you guys make a big deal about a revenge tour. We try not to make it about that, but we checked the last box on that list today and uh, meant a lot to send these seniors out the right way. I mean, I, I still have memories of Nick Chubb sitting in my office and telling me why he's coming back. So I wanted it more for him than for anybody. And uh, to send him out the right way, and really all of them, but it's just Nick specifically said he couldn't sleep at night thinking about it and gave him an opportunity to go to sleep now. Don't you love that? Gave Nick Chubb an opportunity to go to sleep. Couldn't sleep at night because they had lost to Georgia Tech, and now Nick Chubb, well, he sleeps like a baby. That is uh, great stuff from Kirby Smart. And a great reminder that, yeah, you know what, even when Tech's not very good, clean old-fashioned hate can still mean something. And for a lot of Georgia fans, it is a special rivalry, and it does take place again on Saturday. And you better believe the intensity that Smart showed there, the intensity that Smart has shown for all of Georgia's rivalry games, and the players echo I believe that's going to be on display in Atlanta again on Saturday. I know that Georgia fans will enjoy that. Putting a final punctuation mark in the regular season before that chase for the championship begins starting in December for the SEC championship. So good stuff from Kirby Smart right there. And a little bit of a special version of our golden shoe here for today. I got this message to us at uh, dognation.com. Speaking of Nick Chubb, Chubb does a great thing for a local school. So a guy writes in and says he's from Cedartown. He says that they've had a couple of uh, really tragic events unfold in Cedartown in recent years. And so the community is trying to come together with a big program called You Matter, where, you know, they're trying to, you know, get uh, young folks to understand just how loved they are and how much the community cares for them. And they're talking about an attitude of gratitude type moment. And so here's what Nick Chubb does, that he donates a bulldog that's going to belong to all the students because Cedartown's also the bulldog, same way that UGA is. The bulldog's name is Chubb there as well. He says the idea of a living mascot is so each student can have someone that loves them unconditionally. And Nick Chubb does all of that. We have anything else we can show from uh, Chubb on this? Uh, yes, so Chubb sends out the message, you matter from Cleveland, Ohio. The Polk School District shares that. Boy, what a great thing and a great job there. All the folks in Cedartown in a uh, great way for uh, for Nick Chubb to show his love for his hometown there. That is a great thing. I'm so glad that that was shared with me. And a nice fitting conclusion for our show here on this Thanksgiving week. I'll tell you, Gator Hater Countdown, now 339 days. Dogs go back to Jacksonville, get another win against those lousy, stinking Gators. We're thankful for that, but most specifically, I'm thankful for all of you. So for those of you that join us throughout the week, throughout the year, to be a part of Dog Nation Daily, to allow us to narrate this experience of being a Georgia fan, I just really, really appreciate that. I hope you all have a great Thanksgiving. I'll see you in Atlanta on Saturday for Georgia Georgia Tech, in uh, Thomasville on Friday night for high school football and then all throughout next week and then the rest of the year for Dog Nation Daily after that. We'll take Thursday off. We'll take Friday off. Hope you get a chance to do the same thing. Thank you for being with us here for Dog Nation Daily presented by Meriwether and Tharp and thanks for making it so fun to do this show each and every day. Happy Thanksgiving everybody. We will talk to you next time.